Welcome to Election Profit Makers, your guide to winning and losing money. I'm one of the hosts. My name is David. I'm joined on this spring morning by Starly. Hello, Starly. Hi. And by John. Hello, John. Hi. We have a real treat for you this week. Before we get to the Cuomo market and COVID-related news, I've been watching a famous television program called The Sopranos. The sixth season of this classic show is available on my HBO thing that I have. And I'm going to do a little quiz with John and Starley because I just found out they have both watched this TV show. This is going to be a series of Sopranos impressions. These are characters from the iconic TV show Sopranos, or I should say The Sopranos. John and Starley, are you ready for your first character from The Sopranos? Mm-hmm. Here we go. I don't know what I'm doing here. I didn't do it. Mm, pussy. No. Polly. No. Christopher. No. <laughs> Tony. No. <laughs> Malfi. Naming every male character Malfi. on The Sopranos. I'll do some more. I'll do some more. This is crazy. I didn't do it. You got to get me out of here. Polly. No, Polly doesn't sound anything like this. Polly's like this. Oh, you said you were going to do it in my hair. And I have stripes in my hair. Artie. Forget it. Bobby, Bobby. I didn't do it. You have to get me out of here. That's prison. Who's in prison? And you, But you're watching the last season, so you're watching a weird season. It could be like the FBI agent. Do you want, I'll tell you. It was Uncle Junior. Oh, right. I love Junior. He shot, he, well, I shouldn't say anything because it don't. I don't want to yeah. spoil anything. People have been waiting their whole lives to watch The Sopranos. <laughs> You know, the quarantine is all, we're running out the clock on quarantine. If you've been putting off watching The Sopranos over the course of um, a stay at home, your time is running out and you need to catch up because I'm about to start the second half of the final season and I know things are going to be wild. Hmm. All right, we're just going to do a couple more. We're going to do a couple more. And the listeners, you can email in too with your guesses. Here we go. So Ben, uh, all these gift bags are free? You didn't have to do anything for these gift bags? Uh, the guy who... Richie. No, the guy who who was in the, the E Street band. Salvador. No. Someone goes to Hollywood. Oh, Christopher. Christopher meets Sir Ben Kingsley. They want him to star in their movie Cleaver, and then they follow Sir Ben Kingsley to a gifting suite, and Ben Kingsley goes around and gets all this free stuff, and Christopher and his partner are like, all this stuff is free? I know that feeling, man. When you move out here to Hollywood and you learn the secrets of, of swag bags... Then you realize, no justice, no peace. I didn't realize Christopher was okay, yep, around yep, yep, to go to Hollywood. Right. Yeah. yeah. First half, he's very much involved in producing this movie's Cleaver. Mm. He's also very much involved in drug use, or should I say drug abuse. One last one, and this is an iconic character, and I think I can get it done. I think I've honed this impression such that I can get it done with a single syllable. Ready? Tone. Tone. Janice. Oh, that was bad. Woo, that was bad. I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. Okay. Tone. Carmella. Yep, Carmella. The master blaster, <laughs> David Reese, Kid Midas, the king of impressions, has struck again. Basically, everyone who hasn't had time to watch the sixth season of The Sopranos, you don't need to. You just watched it. I've summed up everything you need to know about that piece of pop culture and my wonderful voice acting abilities. Mm-hmm. Now, before we move to the Cuomo market, John, you had something you wanted to share about North Carolina radio stations. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay, when in North Carolina, we we have WRDU 106.1, the home of rock and roll. It's a classic rock format. Yep. Okay. Well, that has now moved to it's still WRDU, the home of rock and roll, but it's now at 100.7 on the dial. Uh, which is where Oldies 100.7 used to be, which is where I used to work, where I used to do news with Lowell Shoemaker. Uh, and then there's G105, 101, 105.1. But then do you remember 101.5? This is what I'm getting at. Do you remember what that was? I mean, was? do I remember the call letters or do I remember the format? The call letters and the format of 101.5. I mostly remember G105 because they had the hot 10 at 10 and I would hide my portable radio under my pillow and listen to it at 10 o'clock at night, the top 10 countdown. But I don't remember the format or the call letters for 101.5. 101.5 was W-R-A-L. Oh, right. Okay. But that's the same call letters as the best news team on TV with Adele Arakawa. 
and Charlie Gaddy. Right. Uh, Charlie Gaddy's retired now. I think Adele Arakawa is in Denver now. Good for her. We met her at the State Fair once. That was very exciting. She was awesome. So now I was listening to 101.5 WREL-FM, not WREL-TV, this morning, and they don't play easy listening anymore. They play praise music. Praising who? (laughs) (laughs) Praising David Chase, creator of The Sopranos on HBO. This is 24-hour David Chase praise music programming. I like that station. That would be an incredible station. Mr. Chase, we praise you for the invention of prestige television. You changed the format. You changed the possibilities of the medium. (laughs) Somebody say amen. So it's Christian music now as opposed to light music. Right. And I can't turn it off because I love praise music. It's just something about it that I can listen to it for hours I'm not amused by it. You're not listening I, I ironically, just, like, oh, ho, ho, what a joke. No. Is it good praise music? I mean, I don't know if praise music is good, but I just— Is, is it like gospel? No, or it's is not it gospel. Like, it's like, the blood of the lamb and Jesus <laughs> has come and da na 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 It's got just a certain kind of flow— and I find it very interesting and sort of comforting mm-hmm. and just, um, that's my jam now. John uses praise music in the same way that, he use, you use it as light FM. You use it as background music. Yes, yes, exactly. Do you listen to it? Is it your main station you listen to now? It will be now. I just discovered it this morning. Because you're not going to change the station? This guy's clock radio doesn't even work. You think his car, he's probably yeah. stuck. The little the little radio preset button in his car is probably stuck on the station. And he's like, oh, what a blessed accident. I'm praise music all day. I drive around through the McDonald's drive-thru. Yeah. I mean, I assume it's all the time now. I thought, oh, maybe it's just praise music on Sunday. But it is Saturday. We're recording this on a Saturday morning. No, it's Sunday. 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 Oh, it is Sunday. Yeah. Wow, for someone who's into praise music, not even to know it's the Sabbath right now, dude. Oh, darn. Then, then it probably is just praise music on Sunday. Oh, man. You really need to get that clock fixed. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is Sunday. It is Sunday. Yeah. And it's a very special Sunday. It's John's dad's birthday. Happy birthday, Mr. Kimball. Many happy returns. Happy birthday, Mr. Kimball. John, have you seen your dad? No, I'm going to um, see him in a few hours. In person? Yeah, I've seen, I actually saw my parents uh, earlier this week. Yeah. I gave them a hug for the first time in a year, which was really, it was nice. And it was just really strange. It just, wow, just really weird. Was it, were you like middle schoolers at a slow dance? You didn't know where to put your arms or your hands? Kind of. No, I think we just did it. It was sort of nonchalant, just like, oh, yeah, we're hugging now. I guess I'll hug him again when I see him today again. Well, give him a hug from me. I will. When I see John's parents, let me think now. If I was to see John's parents during one of my many sojourns to Chapel Hill, I think I would hug John's mom and shake John's dad's hand. I can't remember. That feels right, though. In the when next time you go, you mean, or that's what you're, you're tradi- traditionally yeah, what you do. That's traditionally what I do. The next time will be different because the next time I swing through Chapel Hill is going to be on my. I'm doing a one man show of The Sopranos where I play every character all six seasons, mm-hmm. and I could do the whole thing in, in a single two hour performance. Mm-hmm. And I won't have a lot of time backstage to really connect with John's parents. I'll probably just have to give him a quick head nod and sign their ticket stub and ask him to keep moving because there will be a lot of people backstage because this is going to be a show-stopping performance. What's your Artie? How's your Artie sounding? Oh, Artie's my favorite character, the man who owns the restaurant. Okay, so this season focuses a lot on Artie and the travails of his restaurant. Oh my gosh, this guy. The temper on this guy, and yet the sensitivity lurking underneath. That is agonizing to watch. When, when the new Italian restaurant moves into town and everyone starts going to that restaurant and Artie is reduced to having early bird specials and two-for-one coupons in the newspaper. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> Artie's getting happy. <laughs> I don't know if I could do an impression of Artie. He's just hits too close to home. I watch Artie, I'm like, this mm-hmm. is my life. Doing these two-for-one specials, getting clobbered by this hot new restaurant in town. 
hoping my mafia friends will keep coming around my stank-ass restaurant <laughs> with the stale bread. Oh, Artie. Oh, Artie Bucco. Shall we move to uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York? So, yeah, the big news with the Cuomo this week was that our hot tip came true. But then it fizzled out. No, it wasn't. It, 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 it wasn't that big of a story. But it was a story for a lot of, I'm not saying, but I'm saying that's, that's what I think Pharaoh is all about. Can you, can you give us some context and explain what you're talking about? I just don't think that Pharaoh always comes no, with a lot No, can you be like goods. there was an it's article just, that came out in the New Yorker. It said that instead of just diving into the deep stuff. Okay, there was an article that came out in the New Yorker that Ronan Ronan Farrow wrote uh, about Andrew Cuomo, and it basically said that uh, he behaves badly to his staff and has. It's it's basically a lot of the same stuff that we've already heard, and no real concrete details, just sort of writing around the subject and and making a lot of insinuations. Would that be fair, Starley? I didn't I didn't read it, but I that doesn't surprise me that a Ronan Farrow article did that. Is Ronan Farrow not a real investigative journalist? I think Ronan Farrow has done st- started something that is monumental. I think his Weinstein stuff is uh, hugely beneficial and and really and and really did th- times are ch- different because of it. Like he changed he changed things, right. but I don't think he's an incredible reporter. Was it mainly that it wasn't that much new stuff? So it focuses on it focuses on one individual, Lindsay Boylan, who was a special advisor to Cuomo, and she was the one right. who wrote who tweeted and then wrote an essay online about being harassed by Andrew Cuomo. Ronan Farrow interviewed her, I guess had a couple long interviews with her, and then also detailed in Albany the Cuomo administration's strategy for pushing back and disparaging Boylan, you know, to blunt the force of her accusations uh, against Andrew Cuomo. But I kind of know what you're talking about. If you if you heard, oh, did you know Ronan Farrow's writing an article about you for The New Yorker? Your blood would run cold and you'd be like, oh, my God, here it comes. Bye-bye, society. Because now at this point you assume it's going to be an absolute bombshell. And you also would know what the subject would be. Right. It's not going to be about how what a wonderful mensch you are. It's going to be something shadier than that. <laughs> and this article, I mean, obviously the specificity and the direct quotes and the and the detail of, of the Cuomo administration's, you know, attempts to delegitimize this woman are gross but when I got this hot tip, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a whole new level of allegation. This is going to be an out-and-out sexual assault or something. Or this is going to be mm. 50 new women. You know, when New York Magazine ran that huge cover story about Bill Cosby's accusers, and they just got them all in a, fo- in a single photograph, and it really, like, brought home. But Starley knew. Starley knew it wasn't going to be much. I did. I mean, I just— Yes. And I suspected as Starley did too. I was thinking, mm, I don't know. So this is the thing. So now, because of Ronan Farrow's status, the New Yorker will now publish a feature-length article if he says, this is this is a story. So that, um, because they will do that, you no longer think, oh, something's coming out. They must have something. They must have something new. Just by nature of it being Ronan Farrow's and that he will get published. And if anything, it seems like he even could have almost helped Cuomo because a feature-length articles now come out that didn't take him down more. Right. And people will be like, oh, that's it? Oh, they're really gunning for this guy. This is really unfair. Yeah. Right. I think the, va- I think the value of this article is just because he interviewed Boylan the value of the article is not so much breaking news, but really just like what it would feel like. Mm. You worked for the governor. He harassed you. He made you feel uncomfortable. You finally write about it when these allegations come out. And then you start getting all these phone calls and texts from people. You know, it's the story of of a, of a woman accusing a powerful man of bad behavior. And then the power, the troops of the powerful man rally around him and set out to destroy your your reputation, destroy your life. The stress of it, the agony of that, 
that's the value of this article rather than six new specific allegations from six previously unheard of women have now surfaced. And I, Ronan Farrow, are going to walk you through these allegations. I mean, that sounds like it would be effective, but it, I don't think it was. Maybe we're at the stage, we're at the point where it's new allegations that take someone down. I think that's right. I think it's a score sheet. And at some point, everyone in their mind is like, all right. <laughs> it's like with Trump. Okay, when... When 26 women accuse him of sexual assault, then maybe I'll start to change my mind about him, How, whatever the specific number was with Trump. And I'm sure for a lot of Cuomo supporters, they were like, oh, thank God, it's just that same woman. I don't have to add a new woman to the, you know, I can't remember if there are new allegations from different women within the, within the article, but the, the headline is just, is, is fleshing out a single allegation that we already knew about. I mean, honestly, most people didn't read, probably didn't read it. Right. It's a long New Yorker piece. Um, that's it's it's a harder thing to um, to put into a tweet, an in depth exploration of how it made her feel. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so then that ends up not doing the same damage. I mean, this is where we're at, right? It feels so it feels so weird to be discussing it like this, because like to me, it's not a question of whether these women are telling the truth. We're asking, is it going to be enough to make Cuomo no longer governor, either through him resigning or the pressure to impeach him and to like, it's like you have to start tabulating it this way. Yeah. And I think at this point, I mean, the predicted has not my market, the dumbest market I've ever been in. Will <laughs> Cuomo resign before May 1st? Why have all markets that I hop into this market? Wait, so you did resign before May? You did the double specific? Yeah. That's madness. I know. That's like cry for help. I know. I know. I know. Because I was avoiding I was avoiding the cognitive dissonance of selling out of the will he be governor by the end of the year market and then instead of buying back into it because if I bought back into it I would have to admit I was an idiot for selling it. I went into a dumber they should teach this in Harvard Business School. This is a case study of how not to manage your your wealth. <laughs> So then I, I was like, I can't go back into the same market. All right, I'll go into will Andrew Cuomo resign before May 1st? You, into, you went into a narrower hallway. You were yes, fleeing. Yes, you yes, were being chased. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yep. The monster was chasing me. I chose the wrong doorway, ran down the wrong hall for a while, ran back out and then said, okay, I'm not making that mistake again. Let me just hide in this kitchen cupboard. Mm -hmm. I'll have a lot of options in this little kitchen <laughs> cupboard here. Mm -hmm. So now I'm getting clobbered six ways to Sunday. And I'm starting to think Andrew Cuomo will not resign before May 1st. But who knows? Who knows? I don't know if he's going to resign at all now. No, he's got to be feeling good. I bought into the just no, which I never do knows because I don't, I forget to ride the waves. But I bought into no around 59, 60 cents because that seemed like to be what John was doing. And last time he said he made money and it went up to 75 <laughs> cents and that seemed fun. Uh -huh. And then nothing, it didn't move at all. Yep. These Cuomo markets are stuck. Yeah. Well, maybe when people read it, finish reading it, in like three weeks, something will happen. Okay, we should put a market on how long it takes people to read a New Yorker article and then see if Predict It has any movement that day. Ronan Farrow is kind of, maybe it's like Seymour Hirsch because there was a time when, when anything mm -hmm. Seymour Hirsch wrote was just going to be this massive bombshell. And then it started getting kind of weak. And then his stuff started to get kind of weak, John. It really did. Yeah. And then eventually I would read these Seymour Hirsch articles and be like, I don't know, Seymour. Are you sure? It was <laughs> exactly. just like, maybe, I mean, maybe he's, maybe he's right and I'm a sheep, but it was stuff about the Bin Laden assassination where it was like, mm, are you sure about this, Seymour Hirsch? Hmm. Maybe that's because I'm convinced that Obama personally flew into Pakistan <laughs> and killed Osama Bin Laden with his bare hands. I just think Ronan, it, just because he... It's not like some like superpower he has that makes him like able to talk to women more than other people do. Like, <laughs> like Hollywood was his industry. It's not like because he uncovered Weinstein, he can just like aim it anywhere he wants and be like, I can figure out the Me Too's in every industry. He doesn't know any other industries. Exactly, and it's like Cy Hirsch with he got the Milai massacre, and then it just it didn't necessarily translate to all the other stuff. It's like me with my impressions, you know. Yeah. I'm a master of Sopranos impressions. <laughs> Doesn't mean I can do Deadwood. Actually, I can do Deadwood. <laughs> Actually, I can crush that one guy who's like, speaks in Shakespeare language with the, Mr. Swear Mr. Swearingen's disposition seems to be sour this morning. I trust that we will be able to curtail further outbursts through the liberal application of, of your whiskey. The guy from um, the mm, Newhart show. I have no idea what you're talking about. 
What I was going to say was, because I'm I'm a master of Sopranos impressions, it doesn't mean I can do uh, the show with the horses that are made out of milk, and they're all a Westworld. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It doesn't mean I can do Westworld. Beep boop, am I a robot or a human? Westworld. Do, 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 do. So do we think Cuomo is going to, do we think he's going to stay governor? Resigning or being impeached? He will do the Nixon. He will resign if he thinks he's going to be impeached. He is so hated by New York Democrats that maybe they will mount an impeachment effort. I mean, I think, you know, for him, it's all just about saving face. Well, yeah. I mean, who, why would anyone, of course, I don't think any of them resign out of genuine feelings of being guilty. You don't think Franken did? Uh, no, I think he felt a duty to his the party. Like, I think he felt like, this is what a Democrat would do. We have to show that we're different than Republicans. A Republican wouldn't do this. And boy, that worked. <laughs> yeah. Do you think Cuomo, at this point, what is your gut telling you that will Cuomo be governor through the end of the year? My gut is telling me that Andrew Cuomo will resign by May 1st. <laughs> My gut tells me he will not be governor at the end of the year. Oh. My gut is telling me that too, David, uh, that he, by the end of the year, he he will not be. It's not a huge, strong feeling, but it's there. But he'll definitely be governor by May 1st. He'll still be governor. I mean, that's insanity. I think he's going to stay governor through his term. Side bet, Starley. You already owe me one fancy. Do you want to owe me two fancy dinners? I mean, now, now the stakes are even higher because those fancy dinners are much more of a reality. That's right. I went out for a walk on Friday night and I saw a sports bar filled with people with wearing no masks. And then the next morning I thought, was that a dream or did I really see that? I had not seen that in a year. And it seemed so crazy and wild that for a minute I thought I had dreamed it. But I had seen it with mine own eyes. Were they indoors? They were indoors. It's one of those bars that has huge um, street windows that you can just open entirely. So there's almost no wall facing the street. But it was still a big, you know, it's a boxy enclosed space. Everybody watching the NCAA tournament with no masks on. Indoor stuff has reopened. AMC theaters are open here. All of them, I think, will be open in the next weeks. Disneyland will be open. At what capacity are those movie theaters open? 25%. Okay. And you still need to wear a mask. Yeah, but you, you have to wear a mask in the theaters. But then this was happening even during COVID. They sell popcorn. But you can take a mask off to eat popcorn. So it makes no sense. And you can always mm-hmm. laugh and shout while you're eating popcorn if they're worried about air droplets and stuff. Depends on the movie. Wow, Joe Hollywood over here. Name one movie that wouldn't make you laugh or shout. Uh, what's the movie that I saw? The John Stewart movie. That didn't make you shout? <laughs> You said, huzzah for satire. It didn't make me laugh. Have you guys been looking at Jon Stewart's Twitter? No. Uh, no. There's only like nine tweets. It's it's odd. I can believe that. It's hard in a new medium if you're the master of well, one that's medium. What's coming into Twitter at this point. Flail, flailing at it, trying to figure out who they are. Yeah. Feeling it out and like kind of going through the whole rhythm, like starting with like the rhythm of Twitter at the beginning. Because mm-hmm. that's where everyone has to start. So the world is reopening. The pandemic is ending. People are getting back. I don't know if it is. David, (laughs) it is. They shut down Miami Beach. They shut down Mar-a-Lago because of infections. Europe is fucked up. London is fucked up. The pandemic is about to explode because Joe Biden has opened up the border and is bringing in just millions and millions of COVID-infected migrants. This is what I've learned. This is the right-wing talking point. Yeah. Oh, so you learned from your praise radio? No. That's what they're singing about over there? (laughs) I learned that from Fox. Yeah, it's bad. The pandemic is really, really bad right now. So we we just started a pandemic? (laughs) Right. We're in a pandemic? It's beginning? (laughs) Yeah. Fox News is like, Guys, there's a there's a pandemic. There's a pandemic, and you need to mask up because the Mexicans are trying to poison us. Yeah. Fox News, They this is what happens when you don't fix your car clock. You're a, <laughs> they're a year behind. They're right. now, it's March 20, 2021, and they're operating as March 2020. Oh, right. They're not off by an hour. They're off by a year. They're, they're running to the supermarkets. They're grabbing the paper towels. They're grabbing that toilet paper. 
I, I do, I like, I like, I'm giving them, this is a good one. Them saying a pandemic is afoot as a pandemic ends. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's. So what do they want us to do? Not, they want us to now retreat inside and like have businesses shut down with the long game of getting Biden out. So outside of Fox News, though, the pandemic does seem to be, there's hope, vaccinations, the rollout, while chaotic, has been faster than people thought. Everyone except for me, who accurately predicted it was going to be faster than we thought. Starley did. John even found the piece of tape to prove that I was right, which I appreciate. You spent like an hour and a half just to prove that I was right. I did, or maybe I was trying to prove you were wrong. Oh. <laughs> All you know, Starley, he was looking for the tape. You don't know what was in his heart as he was looking for the tape. Yeah. Oh, that's like a Ronan Farrow backfire. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he was doing a Ronan Farrow on you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I found the tape, and there is, there's no question. We can roll that. And I think it's going to happen faster than they are saying it will. Like, I think they have to be extra cautious now and saying it's going to take half a year for it all to get out. It's not based on anything other than just a lifetime of being told restaurant wait times are longer than they actually turn out to be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we're all going to be given buzzers and we're going to get buzzed when it's our turn. This one I knew, finally. And so now what are we going to do? Are we ready? No, hell no, to come back outside my hidey hole? Yeah. No, I am not ready. How are you, are you, do you think you're going to get ready or you'll just stay not ready forever? Because this is the choice people are going to have to make. Not ready forever would be a very tough t-shirt or tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> it would also look good etched on a tombstone. Mm. Not ready forever. That's tough. Uh, am I going to get ready? Well, it is unsettling. I mean, it sounds weird to say. But it, it is unsettling that, like, the efficiency of this vaccine rollout, or maybe not efficiency so much as, like, oh, they set a target and they blew past it. Like, they're kind of rocking and rolling with, with getting these vaccines out there. I had told myself for months I probably wouldn't be eligible for a vaccine until late summer, and now it's just like, oh, maybe it's time for me to check in about maybe getting a vaccine. But then, but then in my mind, I'm like, so then you go get the vaccine, then what? What are you going to do, go outside, socialize? <laughs> no, it's it's it's— I think us having Trump and the administration we did under COVID made it that the trauma was much greater because we didn't have anyone framing anything for us in this in a healthy, helpful way. We didn't have anyone looking out for us. We didn't have anyone providing context to what we were living through. What about Andrew Cuomo? I know. Well, that's that's why he was the he people saw right, him as right. the comfort they did because he was he was framing things in a way that made people feel like their lives they understood the lives they were living inside of this thing, um, and I think that felt made people feel sane and and you there were markers that you were working toward and you knew when something started and when something ended in a way that I didn't feel in L.A. I think that chaos. And that disorientation and all that grief we felt living through a pandemic under Trump specifically. And then it end, it comes right, it, it butts right up against a vaccine that is released on Christmas. I saw the news about the vaccine and I was like, here we go. We can feel hope. It's here. And I, and I, and I, and it never came. Like the feeling of us being like, being able to breathe a little easier and being like, now we know what we're working toward. That never was here because people were so scared to believe in it. And also because we still didn't have, I think, the leader. Trump was still president, so there still wasn't anyone talking to us and directly saying. Yeah, we had an insurrection. We were worried about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then the vaccines came, and they're happening faster than we thought they were going to be here. And we just haven't had time to process COVID itself, the end of COVID, and the start of a new Life, it's all collapsed onto itself. I, it already is weird that we all live through different pandemics because state by state and even even zip code by zip code, we didn't have the same experience of the pandemic. So we're going to have to deal with trauma of that, of us all spending this year and not all of us losing a year equally and not all of us losing people to it. And now we're getting the vaccines in different, in staggered ways. So we're not living through the vaccine the same way either. So I think it's making us really, really, really confused. 
and really scared of going back. I think the reason that I think I think my skittishness about re-entering society is is once once I leave my Sopranos cave and my takeout food cave and I'm tasked with being a functioning member of society again, then find then I'll be out of survival mode and then and then the trauma of the last year is going to yeah. come knock me on my fucking yeah. ass. You know what I mean? Like it's great to have permission to not deal with stuff because you can tell yourself you're in emergency mode. And I've been in emergency mode for a year now. This is kind of what I talked to my therapist about. Like, am I doing okay or am I in complete unhealthy denial? Because somehow I got out of bed this morning, you know? And my therapist is always like, well, we deal with trauma in different ways and there's no right or wrong way. Just keep track of your feelings and stuff. It's like, man, what am I going to do? Go to a dinner party with a bunch of friends and then sit down at the table for the first time in a year and just start sobbing uncontrollably <laughs> when everything comes over me in a rush? I'm kind of like, maybe I should just stay in my living room with my guitar pedals and watch Sopranos. But that's the thing about us living through different pandemics. Because if we all lived through the same pandemic, we'd all be sobbing at the dinner table. Because we all just went through a global pandemic, which by definition means we all experienced it, but we didn't all experience it the same way. Even situationally, personally, we have different situations. You can't count on everyone sobbing with you about the end of this thing that we all experienced. Well, I mean, I'm not going to a QAnon dinner party, Starly. I'm sure everyone at my dinner party will be more or less on the same page. That if, that if they're not sobbing, at least it's sob-worthy. No, but, they're not going to be— But there's liberal people—there's Democrats across this country who's—here in L.A., we were in total lockdown for a year. I mean, John personally quarantined, but I feel like you're, the surrounding area around you is, I'm sure, different than here. Yeah, restaurants have been open at partial capacity for— Many months. With indoor dining? Yeah, yeah. But it did very limited um, amount. The schools haven't gone. We haven't gone back to school. That's the big thing. I feel like that's the big, I think that's the bellwether. Yeah. But also, isn't there a feeling of, isn't there a feeling of just not only the dealing with the past year, some of the fear of returning to the world is now we have to figure out what our lives are. Yeah, just think about, you know, my parents, my parents have had, like, many people in their church that have died. Some died from COVID, but many of them didn't die from COVID. And the, none, none of these, there were no funerals. I think my parents are going to be going to funerals every week once things open up. I've had friends that have been married. Lots of people have gotten married and had babies and people haven't seen these babies. Now we're all coming together and it's going to be exhausting, I think, to try to cram in. And maybe some of that stuff will never happen. Maybe yeah. some people just will say, no, we're not going to have right. a, a funeral. Yeah. And that's that's a a weird, horrible loss too. Yeah. My uncle died during the pandemic, not of COVID. And it really did feel kind of like it didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of people, we effectively stopped living in a society. And that's inhuman. For a fucking year, you were not a part of a society. But this is my question. My question is, do people want society? I didn't emerge from this feeling like people want society. Are, are, you, are, you, are you saying that, like, right-wingers who refuse to not wear right a mask for the benefit of— Not right-wingers. Of Those people I don't even— I don't know what to, I don't know how to begin to live with those people in in society. Right. No, people I know. I think we we you mean, you, are you saying you know people who would be perfectly content to kind of keep up the lifestyle they've had for the past year of There's a, a lot of people I know are feeling like they're feeling some grief about it ending because they there was a peace that came over and I experienced this too like some there was like a peacefulness to um, part of the pandemic. Where you're like, the pressure is off. I don't have to do shit. Yeah. <laughs> Societally speaking, I mean. Right. It made me do more for myself because I my head was clear. I wasn't comparing myself. We talked about this in the beginning of the pandemic. Like, I just, the not, the not having to worry about the news I was going to hear from people. And that's why every time I heard that someone had a development in their life in the pandemic, it was kind of devastating because I thought we had all agreed to stop. <laughs> you thought, I thought we all agreed all we were going to do. <laughs> 
was watch The Sopranos. Who be- how'd you betray me? No marriages, no babies. No buying of houses, no new jobs. Right, right. Show off over here. I mean, this is the thing with the kids who went to, like, who go to private schools, how, how they didn't lose a year of school, and how now they have more advantage. It should have all been, we all had to stop, because it's not fair that some people had to lose that year and others didn't, let alone half a million people lose their lives to this. Mm-hmm. And so that feeling of, um, I'm afraid of it ending, and what I have to go back and start having those feelings again, I understand that. But there are other people who I just feel kind of the lesson learned was what I have in my life, in my own life, my own household, is kind of enough. And Mm -hmm. I want to go out to restaurants, I want to go out to movies, but I don't know if I need society. Because society is more than just going to establishments. Society is more than just, like, taking. It's I don't know what society—I don't have the answer to it anymore. Part of the problem, I think, with ending quicker than we— thought it would was we didn't come up with a solution for what new society is. We tore we tried to tear a lot of things down during the pandemic. We got Biden in, but I don't know if Biden is new society. Biden's just he's an answer, he's an old answer to to an old threat actually because Trump was kind of an old threat. Yeah, there's a big article in the New York Times about how the Western government scooped up all the vaccines and, you know, the the unequal distribution of vaccines and the fact that it is still a private for-profit enterprise medicine. It's just like, I guess this devastating global pandemic was either not devastating enough or not global enough to make us rethink the role of the market in keeping people alive. It's crazy. I mean, the vaccine truly is a miracle when, when you look back at it. To think... Imagine if it had taken, you know, generally vaccine takes four to five years. Imagine if it had taken two years. Imagine if we were still a year Mm. away from a vaccine. God, as bad as this has been, it could be so much worse. It's Operation Warp Speed. And also, we don't, I don't think we're used to being looked at in in a three-dimensional way. This is... Well, I'm not worried about that because no one's going to recognize me <laughs> because I got shoulder-length hair. I freaking got glasses last week, and I've reached the absolute, absolute limit where every time I put on my pants, I think, is this the day? Is this the day? <laughs> Have I gone too far? Because it turns out that <laughs> it turns out that eating two fried hot chicken sandwiches every Saturday as your special COVID treat. Two. That is not an effective weight reduction (laughs) regimen. I got it completely backwards. Completely backwards. Red wine is not a diet drink, I have discovered. My book that I published called COVID Nutrition Revelations is going to shock the dietary industrial complex. Fried hot chicken sandwiches with French fries. Those calories still count even if you order kale coleslaw. The kale coleslaw does not negate the fried chicken calories. Turns out Bushmills whiskey, also not a diet drink. You can eat Greek yogurt with frozen fruit as a treat, but if you follow that up by eating an entire Trader Joe's candy bar, the pounds are still going on. The pounds were added this year. When I come back out, no one's going to know who I am. They're going to be like, who is that masked man? Be like, I'm not telling you shit. You don't know who I am. How do you feel about the people who did Zoom yoga the whole time? Like, seeing those people is going to make me, I'm going to feel angry. Sure. I mean, I did yoga, I did Zoom yoga once, I think, because I told myself I am not going to let myself go to sea during this pandemic. I know how I deal with trauma. I know how I deal with depression. Do a good job. Log on and do your yoga. And that lasted 40 minutes, I think. Yeah. But I also think, that what the pandemic has done for me is kind of just probably intensify feelings that I would have regardless. Like, of course, I'm going to resent and be intimidated by the people who did yoga throughout the pandemic. But I would have been, I'm intimidated by people who do yoga anyway. And I used to do (laughs) yoga. Like, I used to kill those poses. (laughs) So the pandemic just puts a finer focus on everything. All my friends who who thrive during the pandemic, of course I resent them, (laughs) but I resent them anyway. The pandemic is just... It's just a, a bigger font or something. Wasn't it f- nice to be free of that resentment for a year? Because did you, did you resent them during the pandemic? Or did you just feel like it was like some cotton gauze separating you from that resentment that now will return? That, the, to me, the sick 
and unhealthy comfort of the pandemic. And this is a fine line, and, we, and we're always trying to find this balance. This is, again, something I talk about with my mind doctor. The line between forgiving yourself, which is obviously the great thing about the pandemic in a sick way was, well, pressure's off. No one can yell at me if I don't, if I'm not productive today because I'm living through a global pandemic. But there's a fine line between forgiving yourself and being aware of your circumstances and giving yourself a little breathing room to just like letting yourself go to seed and not holding yourself to a high standard. That's a tension that I think the pandemic exacerbated for me. I mean, I was somewhat productive. Pedals. I put out an incredible album, davidreesrecords.bandcamp.com. And, you know, I was working on some projects that might come to fruition in the next year, and that would be wonderful. Mm -hmm. You were soldering like a madman. But I also had a lot of a lot of downtime, a lot of unproductive time, a lot of fallow ground that I did not sow over the past 12 months. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, the comforting thing of the pandemic was telling yourself, well, no one can get mad at me because I'm in a pandemic. And what you have to do is just keep, you know, in the words of Tiny Tim, we have to keep the spirit of the pandemic all year round, 12 months out of the year. The feeling of, well, you know, I don't care if people are being productive because I'm just trying my best over here. Just go, try to go easy on yourself. Yeah. I got, so on Friday night, I got really depressed. I still feel it. Like more than I have in maybe the whole pandemic. I, I didn't feel depressed during the pandemic. I felt calm. I, I, I don't know how the world is suddenly going to offer up the things missing from my life that I was very, very aware of before the pandemic— why would a, a broken society emerging from a pandemic now suddenly have those things? Are you talking about like maybe society wasn't good enough pre-pandemic and now we're all just going to go back to it? Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely society wasn't good enough pre-pandemic because we spent a lot of the pandemic tearing down society that existed before. I don't think we we didn't finish rebuilding it, though. I, I, I worry people are going to emerge from the pandemic and be more than ever like, this is mine, this is mine, instead of being like, here's here's what's in the offering. I think spending a year with just the people in your own life, I would like it to lead to like a generosity of spirit. Instead, I fear it's going to be people being like, I know what's important to me. I know what I have to protect. I'll do everything I can to expand this. So if people have a family, they'll be like, got to make sure that like we have, you know, we buy enough houses for everyone in our family. Right, and the right. people in our family get sent to the best places because it's all about this unit that we have to build upon. Instead of being like, now that we've spent a year out of society, we have to put all of our energy into making society great for everybody. And I'm talking about that like on a macro level. Like I would love rich people to have emerged from society pandemic being like, I don't know why my kids shouldn't be the only ones who get to go to good schools. Let's make sure everyone gets right. to go to schools. But also on a private right, level, right. like I worry that people who are in relationships and with families are going to be like, I don't feel the need to spend time with anyone else but these people. I, I spend a pandemic with these people and that's, that's what I liked and I'm going to keep doing that. Maybe, but I kind of think on the specifics to that second mm-hmm. point, people are going to be like, I can't wait. Let me go out to dinner without this damn kids and this spouse up my ass. Well, the kids, yes. Basically, I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't think anybody has any idea what's going to happen. And I think for me, that's why it's a little intimidating to come back out because who knows? Who knows what it's going to be like? But I'm also going to have a hard time. I think I learned a little bit too starkly my role in people's lives. And it's going to be hard for me to forget that. What's your role in people's lives? Apparently not that much. <laughs> like, I feel that my role in people's lives was, I felt pretty easy to, like, not have around. Oh, I see. Okay, I get, I, I get where, okay, now I understand what's happening. What's happening? Well, I, this is presumptuous, but I felt this somewhat a little too. So, tell me if this is what you're saying. Okay. Pre-pandemic. You're going around dinner parties, lots of socializing, feeling like you're a real part in multiple people's lives, right? As a friend or a colleague or whatever. Yeah. Pandemic hits. Everybody scatters. They're all in their little cubby holes. And then you literally and probably figuratively are just not around. You are no longer, you're cut off from all these people and maybe you don't hear from them and, you know, you start to realize, oh, I guess I'm not I guess I guess when it comes to the essentials, toilet paper, lentils, DVDs, 
I'm not on their list. I'm not an essential, I'm not an essential worker for these people. <laughs> and, and so now when we come out of the pandemic and you said earlier something like, well, what if these people just realize, oh, I don't need anyone beyond my immediate family. We got through this pandemic together and now we're set. Mm-hmm. Maybe part of you is thinking, well, where does that leave me post-pandemic? Well, it, it does make me feel that way, but it also makes me feel like I don't want to really be a part of it. I, I'm not going to f- forget. That's the problem is I, I, I don't, I don't want to be in that role. And so it's, what I'm worried about post-pandemic is the things that I once enjoyed doing, I don't think I will enjoy the same way. Like I don't, I, I'm not excited about going to dinner with a couple in the post-pandemic. <laughs> That's not something that I'm like, looking forward so Starley, to. So what was it like for you? What was it like for you during the pandemic? We are so glad that we had each other. What was it like for you like that kind of stuff? They won't even ask me what it was like for me. They'll just tell me what it was like for them. Right. Yeah, I- yeah. I'll be more aware of the like the the lack of need for me than they will. And I I also feel like I just survived a pandemic alone. I feel a little tougher than other people. And and there's there's battle wounds from that. We're all going to be carrying our battle wounds into this new mm-hmm. world. And those are going to be different, for sure. Yeah. I, I think the worst thing that could happen was that we just spent this year and that people forget everything, and it was like it didn't happen. So we just have this gap year. It's like that missing right. It's like that missing <laughs> hour in John's clock. Right. And we just all lost it, but we didn't learn anything from it. Nothing applies. And that, I feel like, is would be such a tragedy. I think we definitely have all learned something. The question is whether we can recognize that consciously or if it's just going to play out in unhealthy, sublimated ways. Because we learned something. Everybody who went through this pandemic learned something. This was extraordinary. This has never happened in any of our lifetimes, anything close to this. And I think one of the challenging things about coming back out and reemerging from society and having it all start to catch up with us and checking in with other people or comparing notes about what it was like or who they lost or, oh my God, I had no idea and all that stuff. It's going to take us many, many years to wrap our heads around what we've all been through. And I think it's going to sneak up on us in surprising ways. And some people will be able to acknowledge all that and other people will not be able to acknowledge all that and will get extremely dysfunctional. You know, I think it's going to manifest in like weird random arguments and bouts of depression and just like things flaring up, you know, because it's going to take us years to even articulate whatever the fuck what we went through, let alone how to how to heal it. I think we're all going to be a little I think we're all going to be a little bit like John Stewart on Twitter. Getting our sea Very legs perfect is analogy. actually what I think it's going to be. The perfect analogy. We're about to experience what it's like when the world's population <laughs> is like John Stewart trying to figure out Twitter. <laughs> or John Kimball trying to figure out how to hug his own parents. It's going to be, gonna be so, so awkward. awkward. Oh, my God. It's going to be the golden era for America's Funniest Home Videos because the f- the home videos are going to be so awkward. Like, look at this dumb grandma who doesn't even remember how to hold their, their newborn grandchild. With some funny music. Voice over. Oh, what gender is up? Pandemic grandma. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. I think there's going to be, like, moments where we we almost we forget how to speak. We forget our the rhythm of how we spoke to our friends. Yeah. If you're at a party, how to just sit there comfortably? There's going to be some weird parties. <laughs> I'm going to say right now, there's going to be some weird parties. All right, so you're going to go look for to get a shot? I'll look into it. Yeah, I'll look into it. But I don't know once I had the shot if I'll do if my life will change. Yeah, I'm not. When I walked by that restaurant on Friday night with all those people in there in that bar eating and laughing and stuff, it was like, man, God love you. I'm nowhere near ready for that. I'm nowhere near ready to go into a restaurant with people I don't know <laughs> and sit right beside them and eat buffalo wings. I'm months away from that. I'm ready for restaurants. I'm, I want to go to the movies. The movies also I want to do, but I would do that by myself. You're not ready for like the social part of it, you mean. But you can go inside the places. <sighs> Honestly, I want to start off by myself. I don't want to go to my first movie in over a year with somebody and then have them have to watch me have some fucked up psychological reaction to being at a movie again. I want to try everything, you know, except for the origins. <laughs> I'm going to try everything by myself 
first dip my toe in and just make sure I remember how to ride this bicycle before I put somebody on the tandem bicycle. That goes for restaurants, movies, live music, I think is going to be really emotional and overwhelming. The first live show that I go to, I'm going to do all those things. I think initially I'm going to test the waters by myself. Do you know what I do wish? If, if there had been a way where some where businesses didn't have to suffer from this, if they got money from the government, I wish we had shut down entirely so that when we emerged, it was less confusing. <laughs> it has been a confusing year. <laughs> it's, it's not like I haven't gotten food from restaurants or sat outside. or You know, I, I lived in a city that was locked down for a year, but I have also been able to go into a store and buy clothes if I wanted to. Malls have been open this whole time, even in our lockdown city. People socially and personally did retreat. So if we, if I had to live through the complete pulling away of people anyway, I wish we just didn't get to leave our houses for a year. And then we, like, walked out together blinking into the light. That would be incredible. And then we'd have to undeniably experience something. No, it was a mess. And your own personal level of lockdown or quarantine was at times like completely undercut by what was going on commercially or, you know, in society. It was just a, it was, it was disorienting. You're right. It was a total mess. It was a fucking global pandemic and leadership just completely fucked it up from soup to nuts for much, much longer than they should have. So no wonder, no wonder reemerging can be a little intimidating. No wonder we're a little skittish about it. As much as we want it to happen and as, and, you know, as, as hard as so many people have worked to get us to this point, you know, it's like going into downtown Manhattan after 9-11. It's like, I'm not sure I want to do that yet. It feels much more sad than I thought it would. I've been having really bad dreams for the past couple of weeks. And I think it's in preparation for this quote unquote ending. Yeah. It's starting mm-hmm. to come out. I wouldn't wish these dreams on my worst enemies. God damn. And I, you know... And I have to think like, oh, that's starting to catch up with you. Your emergency mode, survival mode is is done. Now the dreams start. Now you start the work of processing what's happening. And it's like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to fight this bald man to the death <laughs> for two hours in this dumb dream. <laughs> Why am I doing this? Is he is a bald man Artie from Sopranos? No, this is before I started watching The Sopranos. The ba- everyone. A, a wise person once told me, everyone in your dream is you. So the bald man is me. It's some it's some element of me. Cutting your hair? Your first pandemic haircut? So this is something I've really been wondering about is I always told myself when I started growing my hair that I would get my hair cut once, quote unquote, all this is over. And I don't know if that means when I get the vaccine or... I don't, I don't know what my benchmark for all this being over is. It's got to be the vaccine. I think I'm going to keep going, though. I'm so close to having hair longer than I've ever had it in my life. I feel like I'm so close. I just got to do it. It was longer when I first moved to New York City. Oh, God. I'm close. I'm close. I'm very, very close. I've learned so much about washing. I went 20 years without washing my hair, basically, because it was always so short. And if I didn't wash it, I would just do what I wanted. And then it got long, and I had to learn so much about shampooing and conditioning. You work in the shampoo, and you rub it and rub it, and then you rinse it out, and then you put it in the conditioner, and you just let the conditioner sit there for three minutes while you go about washing the rest of your body. Look at John smiling. You know what? You know the game, John. You know about hygiene. And you wash and wash. You wash your whole body. You wash your big, huge belly, and you take your time with it. And then when your last thing you do is you rinse out the conditioner and then you dry your hair and it takes forever. I forgot how long it takes to dry a bunch of hair. You dry it with a hair dryer? No, I don't have a hair dryer. I just use a towel. You shouldn't towel it. You should just like let it dry. Yeah. All right. Don't judge me. I'm living in a fucking (laughs) pandemic, Starly. I kind of feel like the beard might be coming to an end. I started growing it the day my dad uh, came down with COVID. Uh, so I've been growing a beard for four months. We're coming out of this spring. What's your marker, though, for the beard going away? I mean, I thought about today being my dad's birthday. Um, um, I don't know. I can keep the beard now and still be sort of anonymous uh, walking around without a mask, which I'm doing a little more now. Uh, it, I mean, just not indoors, obviously, but... Uh, 
I'm walking around outdoors without a mask on. Yeah, I'll miss that anonymity, you know, without the mask. It's nice to be able to walk into a store and pass somebody that you recognize, you know, in the parking lot and you have your mask on and you're like, um, I don't have to talk to that guy. <laughs> My friend told me yesterday, um, she lives in New York and she's, and she's said, the pandemic is over. She went to the Met and... On her way there, she ran, and that's not why the pandemic's over. The Met's been open for a little while. But she ran into someone from her old yoga studio, and they both were wearing masks, and through their masks, so the friend said, I'm writing a book, and I'd love to pick your brain about it. And she said, once we get to the the point where the words, I want to pick your brain about it, are said through masks, that means life has returned to normal. It just means that we're like have got we're like we're no longer marveling at the world being shut down or running into someone that we haven't seen and <laughs> now making small talk outside of the Met in New York City, which was once the epicenter of the pandemic for us. Yeah, I think John, you're more ready for the world than uh, out of the three of us. You're the most ready. Mm, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I used to see Claire all the time, and I would take her to school, and and you know, I barely. During the pandemic, it's been really difficult to see her. How old did, and how old did she turn in the pandemic? She's 13, and she'll be turning 14 very soon. So, so she became a teenager in the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. She's changed a lot in the last year. What's your guys, what is your guys' favorite activities to do together when the world is open? Uh, we like to hike. Um, and that's something we could still do during the pandemic. But I think also we just like to sit around and watch TV and, and, you know. You didn't get to do that? No, no. I need to watch Search Party. Oh, yeah. Why haven't you done that yet? What kind of friend are you? Because I don't, I don't have HBO, but I. I'll gift it to you. I'll send it to you on iTunes. Okay. I have been wanting to watch it for a long time. You have to be able to get all the references. This whole show has been filled with search party references that you haven't gotten. He doesn't even get them. Starly and I came up with a list of 50 search party (laughs) references. You're like, you think we can get all these into the show without John recognizing a single one? I was like, yeah, John's never seen that show. He doesn't know what it is. Where do you think the name comes from, Election Profit Makers? That's a season one joke. Yeah. Do you think I'll see John in person before I see David? Even though David and I live in the same city. I don't think so. I have a feeling you and I will see each other. I mean, you owe me a fucking dinner. You know we're going to be, you know, you, you know, I'm going to be seeing you at the Four Seasons. The Chateau Maybe you don't Marmont. get that shot yet. Maybe you don't get that shot I'm yet. I'm going to be getting that shot and breathing it down your neck. Why do we have to hurry anything? You you take all the time you need. Ooh, we'll start off with a nice amuse-bouche here, and then we're going to start off with the fancy nachos. Don't rush to anything. Do a lot of research. Do a lot of research on vaccine research. All right, I'll do my due diligence about this vaccine. You don't know if the vaccine works. We're not sure. We don't know if that works. <laughs> I heard the vaccine gives you COVID. You're going to be hoping they have a vaccine against my unstoppable, fathomless <laughs> hunger for nachos. <laughs> Election Profit Makers is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Rich Corson, and Daniel Powell. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash electionprofitmakers. You will have access to our amazing Discord. John Kimball rocking the Discord. I feel like I am rocking the Discord, but I probably am not. You are probably actually. like, God, this guy does not know what he's doing. Well, ask our Discord users if John is rocking the Discord. If you go to patreon.com slash election profit makers, you can support us as we make this podcast, and you can also then join our Discord. There's a pets category. There's a food category. Mm-hmm. People posting their pedal boards. There's a food category. I've never been in there. Some of the major categories of online life. General, we have a category just called general. Anything goes in that category. Category called welcome. Woo! You start on a new Discord, you, you first thing you do is hop on that welcome category and see what the welcome messages are. Yeah, and you say, hey, checking in from Vancouver. Send your election prediction questions or comments. Let us know how you are preparing for life after COVID. The email address is contact at electionprofitmakers.com. 
follow John on Twitter, J-O-N-K-I-M-B-A-L-L. That's John Kimball. I want them to follow me on Instagram because I'm 200 people away from getting 10,000 followers, and that's when you get the swipe up function. Follow Starly on Instagram, Starly Kine, K-I-N-E is the last name. I hope they know that. If you want to get some matching funds, go to predictit.org slash promo slash EPM20 receive up to $20 in matching funds. Join the fun of these Cuomo markets. Boy, are they fun. With free money, courtesy of Predicted. Rate and review us on your computer. Tell your friends about this wonderful podcast, Election Profit Makers. Who knows what topics will be under discussion? Mm. The crushing existential dread of life post-COVID, award-winning Sopranos impersonations or the latest in North Carolina Research Triangle Park praise music radio stations. Thank you for listening. You never know when you listen to election profit makers whether Sunday will actually turn into Saturday. Yeah. I'm David. I've been joined by my friend Starley. Goodbye, Starley. Bye. And also by John. Goodbye, John. Bye, guys. Happy birthday, Mr. Kimball. Happy birthday, Mr. Kimball. Thanks, guys.